Hello, everybody. I would like to welcome Brandy Nelson to 321 No Kidding. Hi, Brandy. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to have you. And my blonde hair was showing through in the schedule, and I appreciate you putting up with me so much. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> So I found you randomly on social media and I want to get to know you a little better and I'd love for my audience to get to know you a little better. So can you start off by introducing yourself? Yes. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I know that we met, I was kind of sharing um, some breakthrough in my story and it's amazing the power of social media when we can connect and have, you know, camaraderie and empathy in these group spaces. So I'm actually a confidence business coach. So I help women all over the world uh, launch into life coaching and motivational speaking. And then I also help women with their confidence and uh, living in the courage of procuring a purpose-driven life. So it's absolutely incredible being in this uh, in this space and helping women. Um, one of the things that I speak volume to is uh, recovery and kind of overcoming the limiting beliefs of our past and stepping into the power of self-acceptance. So it's been quite a journey and I definitely have, um, you know, kind of a colorful life story myself. That's kind of how we get into these spaces of coaching in the first place. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. I'm also a, um, a Spartan athlete. So I do obstacle course racing. I've been doing that for about three years very much woven in my healing journey. Um, and I used my journey with as an athlete um, to kind of teach lessons around life and, you know, overcoming the obstacles of life and living in tenacity and grit. So little short piece about me, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much a quick gist. I'm also a mother. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, I have an amazing community of sunflower sisters all over the world. The sunflower is kind of my, my sigil when it comes to my business, um, just for the resilience and chasing the positivity and, um, lots of amazing stuff, uh, associated with that. But, but yeah, <laughs> that was a great introduction. And I have so many questions from it. And you answered some as you went too. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Did I hear you right? Did you say procure a purpose driven life? Is that what you said? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think when we're, when we're going through healing, it's important to nurture creating a life that's your own and seeding in the self-acceptance because what self-acceptance really is, is self-respect. And when we're living in our purpose, we are allowing ourselves to grow in the spaces that bring us joy, that are our authenticity. And it's, it's our purpose when we're, a lot of people like us help other people. So that fills our cup more than anything when we're in a space of being able to help others. But when it comes to confidence and courage, it takes the courage of setting boundaries with other people. Um, seating in confidence is not our ego. It's not selfish. It's saying that, I'm happy living in my personal purpose, what drives me, what makes me feel connected to myself and, and um, again, grounded in that purpose. So yeah, that, that is, <laughs> there's a lot of depth to it, but yes. <laughs> I have a bad habit of doing what I'm about to do to you, but I tend to be a little selfish and I don't know if the timing of meeting you this week is like divinity or what it is. But I was having a meltdown this week with confidence and 
the the foundation of this and and if you don't mind maybe coaching me so people can understand kind of what you're doing yeah i know i'm blindsiding you here but i'm getting ready i'm getting ready to go to a business conference and there's going to be a lot of people that i really respect and celebrities and you know like the whole thing right and i found myself i've been stressing about this what am i going to wear what am i going to say are they going to like me i'm like over it took it's sucking my confidence away is what it's doing um and i've been working through it i went through my alcohol free group the other night cried i went through a coaching group cried went to my gambling group last night cried um and i'm starting to overcome the healing but i probably didn't need to sit in that misery all week so what would you tell someone like me that is going to go in this situation and my confidence is, is shaken a little just by the situation itself. Yeah. Just from what you've told me, a couple of things kind of jump out. Um, one, I can recognize you might be dealing a little bit with imposter syndrome. You're not an imposter for wanting to go into these business spaces and, you know, be seen and heard for your authenticity, your vision and the mission that you have for yourself. The other piece would also be speaking to the anxiety around rejection because you've been, you've probably been gaslit a lot around your passion and things that you love and helping others and people being like, I would never do that. Or I could never do that. But it's so important to you to create a safe space for people to gather and process and heal. Um, that once you make the decision to kind of scale that and bring it to life, those old limiting beliefs that come in from the narcissistic abuse that you may have experienced in your life around the person who put you down every time something was important to you. So making decisions to go into spaces with, you know, people who are, you know, elite or they're, you know, they're in the business and you want to learn from them. There's that element of anxiety around rejection. And so this is where in the coaching element of creating the courage to have the confidence to do what you love, you're going to show up anyways. And every single time we show up, we are taking imperfect action, but we're taking action nonetheless. And it's not about being perfect. It's about being persistent and going to these kinds of events, getting your name out there, getting your voice heard and being authentically you. So natural for people like us is that we can open up conversations and we can have, um, you know, authentic, heartfelt connections with people um, and aligning in that purpose. So again, to speak to the imposter syndrome, you're not wrong for wanting to pursue this path and overcome, you know, pieces of the past. Because, you know, when we're talking about recovery, one of the things that tries to whisper to us and lie to us in our anxiety is, what if they find out about my past? That's the whole empowering part about being somebody in this space is people learn about our past because they're seeing us in our presence where we overcame the obstacles of our past. We persevered, we created solutions, we were able to heal through our past. Our past actually empowers us. And there's certain things maybe we don't share, but that's okay. Because when we're looking at empowering people to grow, we're meeting them where they're at. And where they're at is where we were 5, 10, 15 years ago. You know? So it's those pieces where um, going into a business space and establishing yourself as the authority um, is nerve-wracking when we've been 
um, rejected because people try to throw our past in our face, right? They try to be like, I can't believe you're doing that when, you know, you used to. And it's like, why are we talking to a, a past self? Because that person who's meeting you with negating your success or negating your um, progress is because they themselves are projecting their insecurity onto you because they, they're not in a space of healing like you are. So their insecurity is not for you to absorb. And it's important for you to empower yourself and the courage of having the confidence to keep showing up and doing these things that are going to grow your business, your career, and um, you know, the outreach and the impact that's made um, through these channels. Right. And so yeah, if I was speaking to that in, in that um, kind of advice piece is that it's okay to have nerves. We all have nerves and our anxiety tries to rise where we kind of have to be mindful and graceful is living in the moment of the now because we're not who we used to be, not even six months ago, you know? And it's those pieces where the growth gets to show up and you're in spaces of stabilization so we don't have to negate the success and we don't have to put ourselves down and we don't have to step backwards because we're not harming anybody by stepping forwards. We're expiring loyalty to the past. And what I mean by that is we're not allowing ourselves to be rejected. We're stepping into this power of I'm aligning myself with people who understand. I'm aligning myself with powerful people. I'm aligning myself with my purpose. And I'm expiring chasing after people who don't approve or don't have positive intent for me. And that's okay to do that. It doesn't harm your integrity. It doesn't harm your, um, your loyalty. It means that you're placing more loyalty on your self-respect and your self-improvement than you are on the opinions of others. You know, we go to these um, events because it allows us to be in a space where we get empowered, where we learn something new, where we grow, we break through, we meet new connections. We never know what can come out of these events. They're networking as well, you know? So empower yourself to be yourself, have fun. You know, like every time I go to events, I always treat it like I'm going out, like I'm going out and I'm going to get dressed up and I'm going to get, you know, do my hair, do my makeup. Like I want to put that effort into saying, you know, this is who I am. This is what I love. And I want to be approachable. You know, I want you to feel like you can talk to me. Um, and it's those elements when you're talking about, oh, what should I wear? It's not about what you wear. It's about how you wear your personality. It's how you speak in your authenticity. Our authenticity is way more inviting than what we're wearing or how we do our hair or our makeup, right? It's, it's an energy we give off when we're in environments that are elevated spaces like business conferences and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I hope that kind of, I hope that kind of helps in regards to just like clarity and just those, those um, kind of those limiting beliefs trying to whisper lies to you when you're not wrong for breaking through and doing more for yourself and for your business and brand, you know? So does that kind of help in regards to a little bit of the clarity? <laughs> it totally did, Brandy. It totally did. Thank you for all of that. My, my follow-up question would be, can we talk about it in the terms of, so that's in the business world. Right. So I think a lot of what you said applies to addiction. So can we expand yeah. on that just a little bit? And also, yeah, can you 
define gaslighting. Like that's a relatively new term to me the last few years. So I'm not sure if my audience knows what that is. Yeah. yeah. So I'll, I'll get, I'll, let me expand a little bit deeper on gaslighting because gaslighting is something that's been conditioned for us that have experienced trauma. We've also had, um, you know, narcissism in our lives. And when it comes to gaslighting in particular, this is where, so I'll give you the, the like definition of gaslighting. Gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse where a person or group makes someone question their sanity, their perception of reality, or their memories. Um, people experiencing gaslighting often feel confused, anxious, and unable to trust themselves. So what that is, is that we were raised in environments that said, that didn't happen. Why would you do that? How could you feel this way? And it's so like they manipulate memories to be like, you're, you're remembering things a certain way that happened, but then someone's trying to change that dialogue. They're trying to say like, well, that didn't happen that way. And you're wrong for thinking that I was there. They weren't there. Right. Or they're trying to change it so that they're not the, the bad guy, that you're not the person who got harmed in the situation. And so when it comes to success, when it comes to gaslighting around that, that could be where in the past, anytime we ever did something that was important for us or made us feel um, excited or, or successful, someone came along and slapped that joy away. They were like, well, that wasn't good enough, or I would never do that, or, you know, um, do better next time. Like just completely sucking the joy out of the situation. They make you believe that you didn't do something good that was really actually good and great, you know? And so when we're living in a season of self-doubt, it's because we're so used to being put down for our accomplishments in the past, um, or convinced that it wasn't an accomplishment at all. You so know, it's so more about them than it is more about them. Yeah. And, and with narcissism, when it comes to narcissists, I'm going to just kind of talk about what a narcissist is and why a narcissist is somebody who's most likely been in your life as a um, influence. Because when we deal with addiction, it's often because we have dealt with narcissism in our life. And what a narcissist is, is a narcissist is a disorder in a person. They're often born from unresolved childhood trauma. Okay. So that's the person in your life. That's like, well, I went through worse when I was your age. Like they are always putting themselves in front of you and negating anything in part that's important to you. So, um, so what a narcissist is, and I just want to kind of put this up here in regards to the definition of what a narcissist is, is that. A narcissist is a person who has an excessive interest in admiration of themselves. So everything is about them. They will put you down if it's not about them. They will change the plan if it's not about them. Narcissist traits tend to be where they are desired to be admired. They're unable to take criticism. They can't listen. They have problems with relationships and consistency, and they lack empathy often. Like they discard emotions. They don't want to hear it. They, they'll often say you're too emotional. You know, they can't take accountability for their actions. Everyone's wrong. They're always right. Um, they cut people out of their lives. You know, they'll be like, don't talk to me unless you change, you know, and it's like those pieces. 
Um, my mother was the narcissist of my life. Um, I was constantly trying to chase her approval and I learned to be an overachiever because if I was overachieving, then I was able to kind of hide what was going on at home. Um, she would often leave and just, you know, kind of leave me as the oldest of like, well, take care of your siblings, you know, I'll be gone for three days. And then it turns into a week, you know, it was like, I had to navigate walking on eggshells as well, because my mother was quite a grenade. Like if you stood up to her, then it could turn into a fly off the handle situation. And I'm not saying my mother was a horrible person. It's that she just did not navigate her emotional self well. And a lot of people feared my mom. Like they would very much be like, well, don't make Rhonda upset because she'll, she'll just catch you out, you know? And it was those things that she very much behaved that way uh, to the point where my mom, like even disowned my, me for an entire year. And then after that happened, it was like one day it just stopped and she acted like it never happened. That's what gaslighting is. Gaslighting is like, like I literally went on in my life, like acting like that never happened, <laughs> you know, like it's just, that's what happens. She needed to gain the control. Narcissists often need to feel like they're in the seat of power. They're in the seat of control. They control the situation. They control what people see and hear and understand about them. And behind closed doors, they're very different, like a Jacqueline Hyde situation. My mom to friends and family, it was like, we would, anytime we went somewhere, she would have to like prepare us, you know, be like, we're not going to talk about these things. If anyone asks about this, this is what you're going to say. Like, if I'm out of town, you're going to tell people I'm here, you know, like that kind of stuff, because she had to maintain this image that she was, you know, a mom that was involved when she wasn't. And so it was very much those pieces where there was time where my sister and myself, my brother, my mom would go out of town and, and after CPS was involved, it turned into like, she still wanted to go out of town. She still wanted to do her thing. So we would then go, you know, stay with friends for the week, you know, or things like that in the middle of the school year, like that kind of stuff. Like, um, so, you know, losing my mom, I lost her when I was 19. Um, I lost my father when I was 13. And so I kind of had to navigate my adult life without uh, parents or any kind of influence. So naturally I ended up in an abusive relationship because I was comfortable with abuse. That's what I had endured with my mom, right? Like narcissists are people who often are abusive verbally, mentally, emotionally, physically, because they want the control. They try to convince you that you're, wrong everything's wrong about you because you question their behavior you know like how could you do this to me and then it turns into a fight you know and so um and then they kind of live in a space of people fear them you know so when it comes to addiction and kind of navigating addiction um it becomes a point of self-harm because we it's a trauma response to trying to numb this pain or the rumination of not feeling good enough or not feeling like it's enough. And if we put on this, um, you know, guard of uh, addiction, then it becomes the scapegoat for the, the suffering we're actually enduring, you know? And it's like my mom, she was an addict. It was those pieces where it just hid behind this 
this like suburban curtain. You know, we lived in suburbia. We had nice things like, but my mom was an addict and an alcoholic. And it was those pieces where nobody talked about that. They just knew that my mom was a partier and that she drank during the week. Like when she got cancer, her cancer became this like scapegoat for her um, kind of abusing her pain meds. And with that came fits of rage and she would then kind of use like chemotherapy and stuff like that as this like, well, I just went through chemo and it became this like really hard thing to navigate with her because you didn't ever wanted her to feel disrespected around her cancer, but her behavior was not okay. You know, and it was those pieces where she was very mean to her partner. Um, and my mom had a gambling problem. She would go to Reno. She was so deep into the gambling that she had like free rooms at hotels. And like, we live in, we were living in Sacramento. So it was like, we were, you know, an hour and a half away from Reno, you know? And so she would take off on these trips and then she'd get so deep into the gambling that she'd be like, Oh, I'm going to be back on Sunday. But then she's like, call on a Sunday and say, I lost all my money, but I'm going to get it back. And I'm going to be back tomorrow. Tomorrow turned into Wednesday, you know? So it would be just me navigating as her oldest, getting my siblings to school and making like prepping them and being like, don't tell anybody where mom is like, just walk home after school. Like don't talk to strangers, like that kind of stuff. And then I would just kind of figure out how to feed them and like, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, the, the gambling got so bad that my mom would be, you know, in fights with her partner and her partner would be like, I'm not taking out another $2,000. I'm not taking out, like she would say no to my mom and my mom would just get so like angry and fight and go through these, like, I don't want to be with you. Like it turned into this, like, it was so bad. My mom would come home with cases, cases of water and soda and stuff because they give that away for free when you play so much. You know, you get like, here's a free six pack of, of soda. And my mom would come back with cases, literally fill up the back of a Suburban like with cases of soda and water. And because her partner owned a restaurant, she was using that as an excuse, right? Like, oh, we'll get the stuff for the restaurant. Like it's whatever. But the hundreds of dollars, right. The hundreds of dollars that had to be spent, the thousands of dollars that were lost for a case of soda. What happened with that triggered the addiction was my mom hit big once. She hit like a $25,000 win. And after that, it was like, this is my magic machine. This is my like place. This is the only place I will gamble. Trust me, my mom put all that money back and I'm sure and some. And then she switched to a new casino and was like, we're going to go to this casino and this is going to be the one. But she would stay up all night long and she would be on that machine. She played um, uh, video poker. And it was those pieces where I recognized my mom was disassociating herself from what she was dealing with. My mom, like it was after my father had passed that she went into this um, kind of depth into her addiction. Um, and after my dad passed, my mom would just like, oh, we're going to go to Reno and just have a fun weekend and like blow off some steam. 
And then she got the highs of hearing, you know, getting into the the machines and she'd drink all night and like, it would be this, there was fun. And then there was anger. There was no in between. It was like, either she was angry or she was having a great time. (laughs) And it, it got to the point where we got an RV specifically. So the kids could stay in the RV in the parking lot while she was gambling, you know? So it was those pieces where no one ever addressed my mother's gambling problem. And there was times where like, I would ask her and say, mom, like, can you just please stay home this weekend? And then she'd get upset and then just take us with her, you know? And it was those pieces where um, my mom was navigating so much, so much. I mean, this was a person who had, childhood trauma. Um, she dealt with abandonment. She really struggled with her, uh, her insecurity of just feeling valuable. And, and that's kind of what challenged her relationship with my father. She really tried to push that stability and like test that stability. And, um, my father was in his car accident the weekend before they were going to announce they were getting divorced. So it was kind of my dad's like, last weekend with his kids and he just kind of got too drunk and went out with his brother-in-law and they ended up getting in a car wreck that killed him. So it was those moments of like, he was so hurt. And my mom, I think really lived with a lot of guilt because of that, because of feeling like, fuck, like my husband got in this car accident because of me wanting to get a divorce and like having to change the family dynamic and all these things. By no means do I like blame my mom for this, but I know that she, we weren't allowed to talk about my dad, like, and she moved in her partner very quickly after my dad had passed, like everything changed. So her, it fed this, um, this numbing agent, it fed this, like, she became the story of suffering, right? I just lost my husband. I'm trying to come out. I'm then she got cancer, you know, three years after my dad passed. And it just was like, like everything was stacking on this woman, you know? So I have a lot of empathy for my mom as I've had to understand who she was after she had passed. But with addiction, I wish my mom could have effectively gotten the help that she deserved. She never went into a therapeutic space. She never had a camaraderie space to cope and process like we do with groups and Um, you know, those types of things. My mom simply would get drunk with her friends and either ruminate on the past or get in fights. And my mom was an angry fighter. I mean, it is something to watch two adult women screaming at each other and hitting each other. Like, it's just, my mom was wild and she would just take off too. She would get in her car and take off and didn't know when she was going to come back, you know, and scary it was very scary like watching that you know growing up and being fearful of what's going on what's going to happen you know um so that's where a lot of my anxiety and my ptsd was born was navigating my mother's behavior and her and this is the sad part was that i didn't realize my mom was an addict until i came to terms with being an alcoholic myself and really understanding those behaviors and and like looking at my past and kind of unpacking uh, the childhood and understanding those behaviors of my mom's were absolutely addiction and her unresolved trauma and not getting help manifested 
it's like, I feel like as much as her cancer was genetic, I feel like it was very much manifested from the amount of unresolved trauma and stress that she carried in her body. Um, and so when I started getting help, I, you know, I've been sober for about two years from alcohol and all substances. And, um, I struggled a lot after my mom died. My addiction didn't start until after my mom died because I was always trying to like keep a, a like safe space for my siblings or like keep a stability through all that chaos as much as I could. And after my mom died, it was like, I was, I was partying every day, smoking pot, dabbling in certain, you know, substances and things like that. And I lived in San Diego, so it was just very like party, party, you know, and, um, it was rough. I was surrounding myself with other hurting people. And when I got sober, I realized my mom was doing the same. I learned these behaviors of how to surround myself with other hurting people because my mom did the exact same thing. It's like she always took in people that were like really rough around the edges or were dealing with addictions or they were having really hard times and they just kind of came to our house and stuff like that. And um, I never understood that until I got sober and went through my own healing journey. So that's why it's so deep rooted into being a confidence coach and helping people overcome, you know, their past and live in their personal confidence because I was very much a scared person. I was a hurting person, unresolved, um, trapped in my addiction, trapped in abuse, trapped in, um, you know, repeating behaviors from my mother's generation. So if my mom was here today, you know, I wish so bad that I could, you know, lead her out by example, or I don't even know if I would have gotten the help that I have without her being here. Um, but it breaks my heart that she never got the help she deserved. I think it would have truly changed her life as a person, as a parent and nurturing that child self. You know, when we go into recovery, the child self gets brought up a lot, a lot, you know, and, and even in, you know, addictive behaviors, their trauma responses. I started dabbling and gambling um, because it was something I watched my mom do. I watched her have the excitement, go to the casino, like have, I played table. So for me, I played 21 Texas Hold'em. Um, I did things that had where I was sitting at a table with, you know, six other people. So I felt like this group, you know, this excitement that would rise if somebody hit, then I'd be there from, you know, seven till three o'clock in the morning, you know, rather, but I kept like trying to set boundaries with myself where I'm like, I'm only going to take $300. And then like the $300 would be gone. And I'm like, just a hundred more, you know, like, it's like the same goes into drinking or substance abuse is like, I'm only going to have two beers, six beers later, you know? And it's like that, what it does is we get triggered by, by this, this, like, we didn't feel like it was enough. Like we didn't get the, the feel good enough. So we do a little bit more, we go a little bit further and it all stems from being unfulfilled growing up. So when we were younger, that do a little bit more looked like maybe if I take on adult responsibilities for my parents, then they'll give me a little bit more love. Right. So addiction gets born from lack of support, lack of empathy, lack of love, lack of care. Right. 
So when we get into addiction, one thing I kind of combat around addiction conversations is when people say addiction is a disease, I would almost shift that dialogue and say it's more of a mental health response. It's a symptom of mental health disorder. What I mean by that is, you know, PTSD, anxiety, depression, all of anyone that's dealt with addiction has also dealt with those mental health disorders. And it's because they go unresolved from childhood trauma where that child in us was not nurtured and that child still became an adult. We can't stop time. We can't stop growing. So we have to learn as adults to be the adult in our life, to stabilize as the adult for ourselves, and to stop seeking for other adults to show up for us. We have to learn to show up for ourselves. And that's what happens in recovery. In all the different recovery aspects of addiction, we learn that you need to find a safe space to have camaraderie and grow in the, the self-improvement. And then we need to learn how to self-trust, to trust ourselves, to not place trust in others to be disappointed, but to place trust in ourselves so that we can keep showing up for the self to persevere and have growth. Placing value on the growth where the addictive person comes in because addiction is where, where do we place the binging type behaviors, right? Because with addicts, we have binging behaviors. We binge. That's why we gamble. We drink, we do drugs because we need to binge. We didn't get it out. So oftentimes in recovery, you'll hear people's binging behaviors go into art projects, athletics, cooking, all the things that you can get gratification out of and see the results in um, so that we can get our hands moving and our minds processing effectively without self-harm. We do things to self-soothe without the self-harm. So it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's so interesting when we're in certain sobriety communities, because you can see where some, um, addicts are kind of dealing with their recovery and they're having a hard time because they go to these communities, but they're ruminating. They're not resolving. They're just ruminating. Whereas we hear some addicts who are like, you know, I'm such and such time sober, but they're talking about all the perseverance or all the, the, um, resilience work that they're doing projects. They started new jobs. They got, um, you know, things they do as athletes. For me, I found my outlet in the Spartan community and being an, being an athlete and having something to work towards physically, get the, you know, the, the confidence and the confirmation that I can, you know, cross the finish line and do things for myself, you know. Um, but I learned that my medals were unshakable proof that I showed up for myself to persevere. And here's the thing about racing. Nobody talks about this with obstacle course racing. It's very much like life. Before you start a Spartan race, there's a wall before the start line. Just like recovery, right? You see that you want to start getting sober, but there's this obstacle right before you get started. And that is, am I ready to do this? Am I going to be okay? And so we sometimes need help to get over that wall, right? Which is why we step into community spaces like AA or NA or whatever sobriety outlet you've found yourself in. It's because you need the help to start just to get through it. That's why they have the like, do that 90 days. Cause you get through that 90 days, you get a sponsor, you have the support, you have the camaraderie, you're shown 
that you can get over the obstacles all along the way to get into the longevity of sobriety. And the same goes in the racing. That's why it was so impactful. And I kept wanting to do it because it became this like physical metaphor for what it's like to live a life that is full of grit seasons and unexpected obstacles and having to have tenacity to get through and problem solve when things hit the fan or stack or feel like the rug gets ripped out from under you. Um, And so the healing elements started because I kept showing up for myself. I was tired of suffering. When you want to get into sobriety and recovery, it's because you are done suffering. You're done suffering at your own hand. You've suffered enough by other people, circumstance, growing up, and you're tired of causing yourself to suffer. And so we have to create the space of breakthrough to stop suffering. And so in that, um, I've really pursued to continuously break through. How I got to the level of coaching was... I got to my own healed space where I wasn't suffering anymore, where I can share my story like I am today without crying and having an anxiety attack because I'm not embarrassed to share my story anymore. I'm not afraid to talk about my mom and things like that because I used to be very afraid of talking about my mother because she placed that fear in me of like, don't you ever tell anyone about this, you know? And I thought, how is that going to help somebody if they don't understand that This can happen no matter where you live, no matter what your background is, this kind of things happen. And I used to get negated all the time if I ever opened up about my mom, because people would be like, that couldn't have happened to you. You live in a really nice house. What does living in a nice house have to do with that kind of behavior, (laughs) you know? And so I used to be so afraid of sharing these things because I never wanted anyone to think bad about my mom. And I didn't want anyone to put me down or say like that didn't happen, you know? And so in recovery, it's so important that you honor your truth. You honor your truth. I have three, I have two siblings. We all grew up with the same parents. We all have different views on what our life was growing up and we all coped differently. And, um, it's just one of those things that I cannot assume that my siblings are going to have the same clarity that I am. I cannot assume that they're going to be able to cope the same way I coped. It's important to be on a personal journey and to elevate, um, the self-awareness to do so. When I take my clients through coaching in regards to confidence coaching and and building the self-trust, I spend the first session, I take three hours to go through self-awareness, understand their story, figuring out the whys that have driven them to persevere every time because they learn to show up for themselves. As a coach, it's important that we feed in knowing that it's not about our clients understanding us. It's about our clients trusting themselves. We as the coach give them a new mirror to see themselves and to process who they are and what they need to live in the success of courage and confidence. And so when we're looking at that self-awareness piece, we're understanding how they were their own hero in their journey. We're seeding them in the self-awareness of why they keep breaking through and why they feel so different than everyone else. And then we go into self-care and what's important about self-care because self-care is not just 
bubble baths and getting your hair done. And like, that's not self-care. Self-care is setting hard boundaries. Self-care is showing up for yourself. Self-care is taking care of your mind, body, spirit, right? That's self-care. So we kind of navigate what that person needs. And then we go into follow through. Follow through is one of the hardest parts we deal with as people because we live in seasons where we can be in some great momentum and then something happens. We have this like awakening and something like pushes us backwards and we kind of fall back a little bit. So I help my clients understand why they fall back, where they fall back and how to stop falling back (laughs) so they can keep moving forward and have continuous momentum. When I talk about recovery and resilience, I was somebody who lost both my parents and didn't have any guide. I've been through all the abuse you can think of. I've feared my life in domestic violence and and getting out of that tough situations and relationships I've been in. I know what it's like to start over from absolutely nothing. I know what it's like to be in the negative and to have to steal to survive. One of the things that I was most ashamed of was stealing to survive finding receipts and then going through a Walmart and lining up the products and then going into the return line, that kind of stuff, just to survive. And I, I always had those moments where I was like, my parents would be so ashamed of me if they knew I was doing this, but I had this, I, I just did what I could. And it was so defeating in certain seasons of my life. Now I live in an abundance and I can help other people. And, and that's just a part of my story. It doesn't define me. And all those moments that I had to recover from, I mean, when I got out of domestic abuse, that meant selling off everything I owned, super emotional to do that after living in a place for six years, um, packing up my little car, my little Honda Civic that could barely make it over the grapevine in California. I don't know how the hell my car made it back. Like I lived with my grandma on the floor, on a cot, on a blow up mattress. I, I literally knew what it was like to go hungry and I knew what it was like to not have feminine products when I needed them. Like that kind of stuff is hard to navigate. And anytime, you know, you have people who are like, you know, you could call on me. I'll always help you. No, they won't. No, they won't. And that was, that was, that was the truth where the times that I put my pride in my pocket finally broke down and was like, I need help. It was like either I was ignored, I was rejected, or I was made to feel stupid. And so it was those moments where I really had to learn how to rely on myself. And so I crawled out of the hole that I created for myself and I started rebuilding my life. And in the last seven years, now I'm married to the absolute love of my life. This man is like like night and day compared to my past. He comes from an incredibly loving family, a huge family, which I never had and always wanted. And it was very hard for me to navigate being a part of this loving, beautiful family. (laughs) Like I would break down in full-blown anxiety attacks. So I was like, I don't belong here. These people are too nice. You know, like it was just so hard for me to accept being loved unconditionally by people. And then I have this partnership and he's so amazing. Like he is my equal, but also leads me in ways that are like his own. You know, he nurtures me. He loved me to self-love. And I'm not saying that you need somebody to experience self-love. It's that he like showed me 
who I was and accepted me for who I was in my authenticity. And he basically said to me, you know, be yourself because that's what I want. You know, I want you with all the the things you've been through and all the stuff you've overcome, no matter what you tell me, it's not going to scare me, but you can keep trying though. (laughs) You know, and it was those moments where, and my husband's also in recovery from alcoholism. So he's been sober for three years and I've been sober for two. So you can manage that was a strong man to be dealing in the partnership of me not being sober and him being sober. And so I have him and we have our daughter. Now we own a home and I have my business and I've been coaching for years now. I've been coaching for three years and I have, you know, I've helped women all over the world. Um, and I've gotten deep into my sport where I've established myself as an ambassador for Spartan and, I've been a sponsored athlete and I've been on so many different podcasts like this one today and sharing my story without fear. When we live fearlessly, it's not about sharing the story to get people to, to, you know, process with me. I don't need people to process with me. I want to share it out of the resilience of wherever you're at right now, whatever's challenging you can absolutely change by choice. Change by choice is the one thing that can drive you through any obstacle, any adversity, anything that's challenging you. You have to choose to change. You have to choose to show up for yourself to persevere because no one's going to do it for you. That was the hardest thing when I was coping with change was I wish so-and-so could be here for me. I wish I had my parents still. I wish, I wish, I wish. But what was tried and true was I had to show up for me. I had to put my name in the hat for situations. I used to work for a massive tech company and I won't say the name just out of, we had to like literally not talk about our jobs, but I used to work for this massive tech company in the Bay area. Y'all know this tech company. Everybody knows this tech company. It's a household name. (laughs) Let's just say it puts windows in your house. (laughs) And it's those pieces where I loved working this job and I got this job hinged off my personality. And I worked in this job and I climbed the ladder and I did all these things and I showed up with my authenticity. And I was like, man, after everything I've been through, I can have a really good career. And I lost that career. Like I was laid off. They were minimizing um, the projects they were doing and I didn't move my career because I was taking care of my grandmother, my father's mother, the one that took me in when nobody else would. I made a promise to her that I was like, I will always be here for you no matter what. Uh, You will never be alone because you have me. It was this like loyalty that I had to her. And um, she sadly passed a couple of years ago, but she taught me that to be self-driven. My grandmother was an artist. She was absolutely self-made. She was extremely independent. And so it was this role model of, I don't care what the hell you want. You better chase it and do it yourself because no one's going to do that for you. Like that was her attitude. Like there was times where she's like, you can sleep on my floor, but I ain't picking up your pieces. Like it was those pieces where she was like, you better try to get your job back at, at you know, this place. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, you're going to just be working in a place you don't want to work. Like she was just so, she would push me in ways where it made me want to self-improve. And I'm thankful that I ended up on her floor. (laughs) And um, it's because of her that I've been able to snap out of it in that way. Right. 
but yeah, my, my, uh, my path has been a long one. I could spend all day sharing the, the biography of my life, but the lessons from it are that you got to show up for yourself to persevere. You got to choose change by choice. And my core values with my business is that you are strong, you are capable, and you are worthy of the things that you want for yourself. You just got to show up to create the change. And no matter how broken you feel, no matter how alone you feel, you are not alone. And that's, that is one thing, like, trust me, I have suffered with the silent nights crying to myself and feeling on edge. Um, I've survived trying to take my own life. And it's because of my best friend who came in and, you know, said, you're not alone, you know, that I survived myself. And it's those pieces where you got to create your own life. We can't wish for a different past. We can't change it, but we can absolutely live in the moment and nurture the self-awareness. And what I mean by that is you'll understand what triggers you. You'll understand clarity and you'll start taking action based off of those pieces. And you'll start shifting just a little bit every day until one day you're going to realize the stability you have is because of you not because of someone else. Do we have people who help us along the way? Absolutely. But it's the stability that you choose to create every day in your gumption to have the tenacity keep showing up anyways. So when you go to this business conference, it's because you're choosing to show up for yourself anyways. Whenever you launch something, you do something for yourself, it's because you're placing yourself in a piece of your life that deserves value and you absolutely deserve to be valued and it comes from the inner self every single time so we wake up and we value ourselves in that way if that makes sense but like I said I could talk all day on these things and I'm catching myself um kind of going on and on there but I hope that what we've talked about today kind of helps people and the viewers who are watching to understand that you're never, ever too broken. You've got to know that. I got so tired of people telling me I was too much, too much past, too much, too emotional, too much, too much this, too much that. You're not too broken. I'll tell you that. You can absolutely heal your life and rebuild and create a new life. The reason I chose the sunflower for my sigil is because sunflowers chase the positive no matter the storm and when there are storms they face each other to stay alive and they actually detox their soil to grow you can look this up it's absolutely like you can look it up right now do sunflowers detox their soil they can literally detox radioactive material from their roots to grow and that's exactly what we do as people. We got to detox those toxic pasts, those toxic patterns, those old behaviors. We got to learn a new life so we can grow. And sunflowers give back to what surrounds them. When they come to fruition from seed to, to, to you know, flower, they give back to what surrounds them. So let yourself shine. Let yourself grow. Let yourself give back to what's around you because this life is meant to be lived, not feared not suffered through it's meant to be lived and enjoyed and thrive in what brings you that happiness and it's possible no matter where you're at to do that yeah <laughs> thank you so much i i'm yes. here laughing because 
in my head, I'm hearing so much of what you're saying and how I feel. Yeah. But also just recently I shared something to the effect of, I use the example that sometimes kids don't hear it from their parents. Like the same message can be over and over and over hundred right. times, but until somebody words it a little different. So yeah. I think you did such an amazing job of communicating like how I feel about so many things, <laughs> but you're like, all that clarity comes in when we hear it from a different perspective sometimes. And when it comes to kids, if, if, you know, if, when it comes to being a parent as well, one thing that I get asked a lot is like, you know, how do you deal with being a parent? You know, and I said, oh, the best part about being a parent is allowing my child to truly be herself. And instead of saying to her, you know, I'm proud of you, it's saying, be proud of yourself. So one thing I wanted to hear the most when I was a kid was be proud of yourself. And I never heard that. It was always, you could do better. You could do more, you know? And if my mom ever said, oh, I'm proud of you, it was because I was covering up something or doing something I, I needed to protect her in, you know? Yeah. So like, tell your kids that they should be proud of themselves more because we want to hear from our kids later in life. Thank you for being there for me instead of, I wish my parents were proud of me, right? Yeah. So it's, it's those pieces where... Yeah, we just, we really start navigating this life. It doesn't matter. Start now, start today. <laughs> you know, there doesn't have to be a starting point. It's the imperfect action that creates massive growth down the line. That's why when we started, we said, gosh, I'm not the same person I was six months ago. <laughs> it's because we take action to change every single day, <laughs> you know, so... That's the important piece is never stop growing, never stop healing, never stop changing. We never stop healing. We always heal. People ask all the time, you know, how do you, how did you get over losing your parents? It's like, uh, you don't get over that. <laughs> you, you, you learn to, to navigate time without them and it becomes easier to deal with over time, but we're constantly healing always. And to never let go of that. There's so much power in healing. There's no shame that you shouldn't feel bad about healing. It is so empowering to heal and to um, gain awareness and clarity and action in your life. That's what healing is. Love it. So Brandy, how can people find you? Um, so you can find me on all social media platforms. Um, you can find me on Instagram under brandy.nelson.h3. Um, it's Brandy with an I. And um, you can find me on Facebook uh, with my name, Brandy Nelson. Uh, you'll see my smiling face in this pink background in <laughs> my profile pictures. Um, and yeah, uh, anything that's associated with me is going to be under H3 Revolution, which is my business and my brand. Um, if you would like to do coaching with me, I offer a free coaching call to anyone that has questions or reservations and just maybe want to feel out if it's the right thing for them. You can absolutely reach out to me on h3revolution.coach slash link. Everything will live there. So you can schedule a free coaching call, find me on all my social media and visit my website there as well. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here today, Brandy. I totally appreciate it. And I'm sure my audience did as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Bobby. I really appreciate your time and being able to share this with your audience. 